And we're live with Angular Air. My name is Kenzie Dodds, and I'm your host for Angular Air, a video broadcast podcast about Angular. I'm joined by some special guests, uh, and feel free to, to wave and say hi when your name is read uh, so that people know who is who. So we're joined by uh, John Mueller. Hi. And um, also Adam Adante. Uh, oh, man, I mess up a name every single show. Adam Ad Adette. Yes, hello. <laughs> Man, that's so embarrassing. My face is red. Okay, um, and Jody J. O'Donnell. Hi. And Max Prin. Hello. And uh, we also have our panelists, Amy Knight. Hello. And Olivier Combe. Hi. Awesome. So, and then again, my name is Ken C. Dodds. I'm your host, and uh, happy to be here. So, before we get started with our show, I just have a couple of quick announcements. First off, today is uh, your last day to get an Angular Air T-shirt. So, um, the Teespring campaign is almost over, and in two weeks, I'll have my Angular Air T-shirt, and I'm so excited. Um, and you should be too. So, um, if you go to teespring.com/ng-air, then uh, you'll get. Uh, that's where you can get your uh, T-shirt, and it's going to be awesome. So check it out. And then um, our next show will be next week, same time, same place, um, May 19th, with Aaron Frost and uh, Ben Nadell um, on architecting huge Angular apps. So this is going to be a sweet show. Pretty stoked um, about that. And it's already up on the website. Thank you, Olivier. Uh, and, uh, and then, uh, as always, follow us on Twitter and Google+. We're Angular Air. Um, for the latest and greatest on upcoming shows. All right, so let's jump into this. So we have a couple of SEO experts here with us, uh, and JavaScript and SEO haven't always got along really well, um, but things are about to change. So we're excited to hear about um, uh, about those uh, those changes and, and how SEO and JavaScript can work together. So uh, for anybody here, um, could we talk really quickly, just give it a brief introduction to uh, what search engine optimization is um, and why it matters to developers. Sure. Can I, can I venture a try at that? Um, yeah, go for it. So, so, you know, the important thing from our view in S with SEO is simply just the accessibility of search engines for dynamically generated content. And in this era, you know, dynamic sites and lots of JavaScript and Angular-driven sites and progressive enhancement and all these things, you know, just the experience that the search engines have accessing that content is critical. So we, you know, we, and we did a test on this, and I'll put the link up on the uh, comments. And we did some tests around how Googlebot is kind of parsing and executing JavaScript, and we're really concerned with what that crawl experience was like, how that then, you know, translated to indexing that content, and. Uh, what we are, just to be clear, what we aren't as concerned with is the kind of the ranking side and the algorithmic back end. You know, how, how well does Google rank content that's dynamically generated in the DOM versus static HTML? We didn't go there. Um, so anything to add to that, Jody, Max? Yep. Okay. So I'm sorry, so just to wrap up, we, we feel it's it's absolutely critical that this, you know, that dynamically generated content is crawled and accessed and indexed by search engines. And so far Google is the only one that is really doing anything innovative here compared to other search engines. We haven't tested Baidu or Bing or, or others, but uh, I'd be surprised if they're doing anything at all in this area. Sure. So what, what is it, maybe John, you can touch on this, but what is it that makes crawling uh, JavaScript's like, dynamic content uh, websites so difficult? 
So I guess, in, in a sense, you can look at the, the older Googlebot essentially like a curl script. So it essentially tries to fetch a URL from a server, takes the content that the server sends back, and that's essentially what was used for indexing. And it went so far that among the SEOs, even there was kind of this advice, if there's anything you don't want to have indexed, put it in JavaScript. Make sure it's displayed with JavaScript. Oh. And that's something that, that has really changed in, in the last couple of years. So where it used to be that we randomly pick up maybe some links that are in JavaScript, where we'd say, well, this looks like it might be a menu, and these, these variables look like they might be URLs, so we'll try to crawl and index that. We're now pretty much at the point where we can render pages based on what we've crawled. So we'll try to act like a browser, pick up what a browser might see when it looks at this content, execute the JavaScript as much as possible, and index the pages based on that. So it, I think it really kind of makes it possible for a lot of these JavaScript frameworks to essentially work by default without having to do anything. I think at the moment, we're not quite there where I'd say you can do whatever you want in JavaScript, and Google will figure it out. But uh, we're definitely heading in that direction. So more and more, there's essentially less and less that someone with a JavaScript-based site really needs to do. And I, I saw the blog post that, that you did, Adam. That was really fantastic. Uh, the team loved it. They loved looking through some of the examples that you brought up. And they'd love to see some sample URLs so that we can figure out where we got things wrong. Um, but I think it's, it's really a sign that things are headed in the right direction. That's great to hear. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, sorry, go ahead, Adam. We, you know, I'll connect with you offline, John, and uh, we can share some, some URLs and so forth. Yeah, that'd be great. That collaboration's good. Um, so uh, before I, I continue, Olivia reminded me that we need to uh, remind uh, viewers that you can actually ask questions during the show, and we'll answer those questions at the end. So Olivia, do you want to explain how to ask questions? Because I don't know how, and I guess it's complicated. Uh, it's not that complicated. It's just that uh, it's not obvious. So you have the menu at the top with a lot of dots, uh, Google menu, classic. And you click on it. You have the Q&A app. And you just click on this, and you can ask questions. So it's easy, but not obvious. Yeah. So and you have to be watching in the uh, Hangouts app, right? Like you can't yeah. be doing this in, in YouTube. Also, I'd like to mention that uh, I'm monitoring the Angular Buddies uh, Slack chat. So if you ask questions there, I'll just relay on the show. Perfect. Yeah. There's a yeah. There's a Slack uh, Slack channel. Uh, on the Angular Buddies uh, Slack, um, Slack, yeah. <laughs> so great. Okay, so uh, yeah, let's. Uh, I wanted to ask. Um, so what, what are things are um, are changing uh, that makes it uh, possible for uh, web or or for the search engines to uh, start crawling our AJAX um, stuff? So I, I guess. One thing worth mentioning is the Ajax crawling spec that we put out, I think maybe five or six years ago. Um, essentially, at that time, it wasn't possible that uh, we were able to kind of render these pages. And there was still a lot of trouble with browsers and doing things like uh, using the history API to use push state, uh, those kind of things. So the Ajax crawling spec essentially use the kind of a hash bank format where you would, within your 
Ajax JavaScript-based app, you'd use links that were like with a hash sign and then an exclamation mark and then some identifier. And what would happen when we found links to pages like that? We would rewrite that and try to crawl a page that was similar but that used URL parameters. So it essentially turned everything behind the hash bang into a question mark, underline, escape fragment equals, and then this part. So that's something where we would crawl the URL with uh, this URL parameter. And the server can uh, essentially render that page for us and serve us the rendered content directly. So the user would essentially see the JavaScript-based app, and we would be able to crawl it by looking at the pre-rendered version that the server kind of gives us there. And this is something that I think, in the meantime, some services offer directly as a service where you can take any JavaScript app and sign that up and say, OK, I want to use this service. Uh, it'll render the pages for Googlebot uh, using the, the hash bang setup and essentially serve users the normal JavaScript version. So for people who are not familiar with this, um, like continuing on with what you're talking about, can you go through a little bit more like how existing people would be setting up like your index.html and what you have to put in your meta tag there? So I guess there are two variations for the Ajax crawling. On the one hand, you can use a normal URL, like index.html, and you add a meta tag. Uh, I think it's just meta fragment equals exclamation mark. And then when we see that, we'll know that, OK, this page we need to crawl using the escape fragment format. Uh, the other option is if your URL directly uses the hash bang in, in the URL, then that's something where we can say, well, OK, we found it like this. We'll crawl it using the escape fragment format, and we'll index it using the hash bang URL. So that's essentially the status where I'd say this came out a couple of years ago, and it's something that's still valid. We still support that. I think over time, what will happen is we'll just crawl the rendered version directly. So instead of going through the escape fragment version, we'll say, well, we'll just look at the rendered version directly. And if we can figure that out, then that's fine. No need to have the server do anything special on their side. Could you see, like, speed-wise, would some people still want to do that? Would it be beneficial because it would be faster to just serve something that way since it's uh, like a more pure form? You don't have images and CSS and all that stuff? Um, that's At the moment, I think that's definitely an option, that uh, when we have to render a page, we obviously have to pull down the JavaScript. We have to do all of the asynchronous calls to kind of uh, show the page in the browser. A lot of that we can cache on our side. So it's not the case that I'd say it's a guaranteed speedy twin. But anytime we can just fetch one URL and get all of the content compared to fetching a number of URLs, to get the content, there's, of course, that speed win there. I think from a practical point of view, what will happen is um, we'll try to get these about at the same speed. And for most sites, it's not the case that uh, you need to get content in the, into the index within seconds compared to maybe minutes. So that's something where if we can crawl your content and you have normal web content on it, then it doesn't really matter to you if we can process that within seconds or within minutes. It's okay. essentially kind of the same. OK. So um, what, what you're describing is kind of like the uh, futuristic stuff, though, right? Because um, are, or is Google currently crawling uh, or, or 
or uh, indexing based off of rendered stuff. This is kind of what was covered in um, Adam, Max's, and Jody's blog, right? Yeah, so we're, we're doing that already. So as much as possible where we can, we try to recognize that, and we try to focus on the rendered version for indexing. We can't do that 100% of the time at the moment. I think there's still some cases where maybe we get it wrong or we have to refine our algorithms a little bit to understand those pages better. But uh, that's definitely what's happening. We also do that for mobile content, for example. That's one of the ways we can recognize if a page is mobile friendly, because we essentially have to render this page as a smartphone. And then we can see, well, based on the CSS, the JavaScript, all of this, it fits into the viewport of a smartphone, or it doesn't fit in. And uh, from that point of view, it's something we kind of need on multiple fronts. It's not just that we think, oh, these JavaScript-based sites need a little bit of an advantage, so we'll help them out. It's something that's really needed across the board. That's actually really interesting. Uh, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, so people still, if they still wanted to go the pre-render route, do you have recommendations on that? There's a lot of different services I saw that do that. I don't have any recommendations that I can give there. I, I don't want to kind of <laughs> recommend one service over another. I imagine they're all pretty good, and they all have like some pros and cons. But uh, from at least from my side, I don't want to recommend any specific service. I think the thing to watch out for is that you don't pick a service that does cloaking, so that instead of using the AJAX crawling setup, essentially tries to recognize uh, the Googlebot user agent and then serves Google's bot-specific content to that user agent. Uh, the main reason there, well, I guess there are two reasons there. On one hand, that's against our webmaster guidelines, so we strongly recommend not doing that. Uh, the big problem we see there is that this is really, really hard to debug. So if your server is sending something special only to Googlebot, then if something goes wrong there, you don't really see that. There's no real way for you to figure out what exactly is happening here. And we see this, for example, or we saw this with a bunch of really big sites that were using Angular and other similar frameworks where they were serving something special just for Googlebot. And when Googlebot for smartphones came along, they served it to desktop Googlebot content, even though they had a perfect mobile site. So this is something where they didn't really see what was happening because normal users see the right versions of the site. But on our side, we just saw anytime Googlebot crawled, it saw the desktop site, and it could never get to the mobile version. So it's something where you're kind of building this layer of complexity on top of your website that makes it really, really hard to debug. Definitely seems like extra stuff to maintain that you wouldn't want to if you don't have to. Yeah. So. Um... Um, maybe from one of the one of you guys who worked on that blog post, can you tell us a little bit about uh, your experience and um, and where you see uh, search engine land is right now as far as um, um, indexing JavaScript heavy applications? Could you could you restate the question? Yeah, sorry, I have a history of stating poorly worded questions. <laughs> <laughs> where search engine land is indexing JavaScript? Yeah. yeah. So, so where, um, from, may, basically, like, describe a little bit your experience uh, when you were uh, testing how search engines um, index JavaScript-heavy applications. Um, so I, I, I think I'm certainly Max. I think you can probably pick up from um, when we start doing the interpretation, that sort of thing. Um, 
like kind of like what we said, you know, we were looking for we were looking for the signaling piece. It was about two years ago. I think you and I, Adam, were talking about how Google was um, starting to try to crawl kind of goofy looking uh, URLs, and then those were showing up in the GWT 404 report. Um, and as we were starting to look through, we started noticing that Google was trying to do its best to put together things that it looked like were URLs, but kind of like what John was pointing out, it was like it, what, it was it was a lot more difficult back then. That kind of led us to start really um, trying to figure out what other signals we could start putting into JavaScript and um, see how the different servers reacted. So we tried to come up with not only the tests that would show you know how the search engine is going to do it, but we also tried to create a control on top of it so that we weren't just seeing like a false positive. Um, so we would just kind of put stuff in, put the signals in. And then um, make sure that we had corresponding either landing pages that had you know very specific information so that we could make sure that it was being indexed uniquely and that sort of stuff. And then afterwards, it was just really looking at the SERPs and um, making sure that signals that we had suspected were pretty hidden before due to um, the, the render, the DOM being different than the HTML. We just started really looking for the signals that would only be seen in the DOM alone and seeing how those would react uh, based upon very specific um, search queries and, of course, looking at the logs to make sure that, you know, the, the secondary pages, like ones where we had the JavaScript links, that they were actually being hit by Googlebot. But, I mean, that was really kind of how we went about testing and looking at it. Because the, the main idea, though, is with all those sites, like new sites and, like, the, the rise of uh, Angular.js, by default, like any AngularJS application, the, the, the source code is kind of empty. Like everything is in partial HTML files, in JSON, in JavaScript, in the main uh, JavaScript uh, file for the app. The content is there, and it's there's nothing in the source code. And we were starting to see that like page title were uh, showing up in the SERP, and like uh, dynamically inserted like uh, breadcrumbs that have vocabulary markup, this kind of thing. So, and we wanted to make sure that uh, that this information was taken uh, and grabbed in the DOM only. And so, yeah, we uh, run this kind of test where this information, this markup, those page titles, they were only in the DOM. And even furthermore, like, kind of few tests where we, for example, we had like a, a, a title tag. Uh, specifically set up in the HTML source code, but a different title tag in the DOM, like because the Angular app will just like change the title tag, and uh, and yeah, the result was like clearly uh, showing that the title tag that is uh, specified by the Angular app was showing up in the SERP, and that was the title tag that mattered. Uh, and um, so yeah, that was just like the opening the door to uh, further testings, and uh, and we're not done. We'll keep doing that uh, because yeah, the idea is like to find a solution to uh, those Angular apps that need to be indexed, and without maybe a pre-rendered solution because as John said like that might go away uh, sooner or later, and. Um, and yeah, the idea is that those apps need to be indexed. And uh, so, and there was not only Google. So, what about other search engine too? It's uh, um, Bing right now, uh, but not just search engine. Like, uh, if you think about 
um, content that need to be on the page, like the, uh, the open graph, the Twitter card, like uh, LinkedIn information. Those scrollers, they need to access the content on the page, and that is not, they are not able to execute the JavaScript, so you need to give them the content. And um, so that's why ProVender solution right now, even though Google might discontinue the, the, the Ajax scrolling protocol, like that will need to be uh, still given. The content will still need to be given to other products. So we might not completely go away from ProVender solutions, um, except if you find a solution to also have like your content in the source code. And uh, that would be actually great that the, your source code is actually an HTML snapshot of the DOM. And uh, I'm happy to say right now, because I'm talking, so I'm going to say that right now. We just launched uh, last Friday technicalseo.info. Uh, it's a small website right now. We're building the content. Uh, so I'm not going to talk about the, the content itself, but the site is built with AngularJS. And um, it's a small site. It's, we are not using the, the full potential of Angular, because we don't need to. It's an informational website. Uh, but the content, it's in the DOM. The site is dynamic using push tape, like so you navigate from one page to another. It's really fast. But using PHP, the source code has the entire content. So the, the partial HTML file that owes the content for each page is also brought by PHP by the server, like to put the content in the source code. So this site as the content everywhere and is fully crawlable by all search engine, all colors, and without using snapshots, HTML snapshot. So that could be a solution, but again, it might not work for every single app, every single site, like you site with, I don't know, e-commerce site where you want to use the full potential of AngularJS framework, it might not work for that, but it could be a solution. So. And we're, you know, we're in the two search engine world right now, so we're trying to make sure that we're bridging both everything that Google can do and trying to maximize, you know, the speed that we can get there. Plus, at the same time, still uh, allow the other search engines to be able to see the exact same view that that Google. Has. So, you know, we don't want people to have to write two different websites and, and that sort of stuff and make, and make it really difficult. Going back to the world of Internet Explorer five, where we had to have two different deliveries of websites due to incompatibility. Yeah, I was actually just going to say that's a lot what it sounds like right now uh, with multiple search engines. I, I actually did a quick test myself. Um, so the Angular Air website is totally an Angular app. Um, yeah, because I'm lazy like that. <laughs> it's a really small app, so I don't know why. But um, yeah, so I just did a quick search for one of our previous episodes and uh, on Google, and Angular Air comes right up, and uh, even like the little preview um, shows the rendered content. So like, test succeeded there. But uh, if I do the same thing on Bing, um, tot like, it's not anywhere to be seen. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're trying to um, deal with multiple uh, implementations of search engine optimization. Um, so I would say that right now uh, it would be unwise for um, anybody concerned about SEO uh, to just simply rely on um, their site being indexed just because it's and just because Google is indexing it um, in a smart way. Um, yeah, there are, actually, there are a lot of things you guys said that I really want to touch on now. They've all, like, slipped away from me. <laughs> but, um, very cool stuff. And, and, I mean, you know, a two-search in 
to search engine landscape domestically in, in North America, but you know globally we need to be thinking globally and you know Baidu and Yandex and uh, Naver, Nave or whatever. I, you know there are other engines out there we need to test too. I I find it highly unlikely that any of them are doing anything near what Google is, but definitely worth looking at it. And, and I do think one of the pivotal kind of points, pivotal or, or most important in this whole thing is what Max was saying about, you know, even with Google able, being able to, to parse JavaScript in such an index web apps, essentially, we still need to think about Twitter cards and Facebook open graph and certainly Bing. And so you're still going to need pre-render, you know, type solutions and snapshots, um, or try to get your, your stuff in HTML source code for those for those other in, uh, other bots, you know, out there. So that doesn't go. So in some ways, it almost makes it more complex. You know. yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, it seems to me like uh, right now, at least for the next couple of years, the only real solution is to to go with server rendering um, your application, and you know the. Uh, like it, and and that's really like for me at my where I work we don't care about SEO it's like you have a login screen um, like we sell to a business so it's not really that big of a deal for us but uh, um, for people who are concerned about SEO um, it seems like they've got to do server rendering and Angular one um, is not really good at that right now <laughs> but Angular two is going to be a lot lot better. Um, so that yeah, that's something good to look forward to. Um, if you, any of our viewers or listeners, if you're interested in Angular One server rendering, um, then look no further than uh, Jeff Welkley, um, who is like a pioneer in SEO with Angular. Um, but uh, yeah, tough stuff, I'd say. And uh, furthermore, even for people that say like uh, I do care about SEO, unfortunately, what we hear sometimes it's Hey, I don't really care about being. It's only like 15% of my traffic, and it's actually the problem. Like your traffic on being, I mean, your traffic could be like 30% from being if it was well indexed by being. It's the same for mobile. So ah, I don't really care about mobile. It's like 5% of my traffic. That makes sense. It's because you don't have a mobile site, and especially since April 21st, you're going to have like even less than 5% traffic on mobile if you don't have a mobile site. So there is a small confusion here, and it sounds stupid, but like the percentage of traffic coming from mobile or coming from Bing, it's not what matters. It's actually how many visits you're getting from uh, those platforms or those search engines. And if your site is fully indexed by Bing, you will get like the Industry average like 70% Google and 30% Bing. If you only have like 10% Bing, you might have an issue with your site. Yeah. So you mentioned something about April 21st um, and and mobile. Can uh, maybe John? Sure. Do you have something to say about that? Sure. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. So we announced that uh, mobile friendliness would be a ranking factor for mobile search results. So essentially, if someone is switching on a smartphone, then we would slightly prioritize content that actually works well on a smartphone. So if you have a page that we can't recognize as being smartphone friendly or that isn't smartphone friendly, then we'll slightly demote that in, in search. And I think the, the bigger aspect is actually mobile. And they say, well, looking at my logs, it's only 10%. And just because it's only 10% now, it's almost. I guess really 
hard to say what it would look like uh, if it weren't if it were mobile friendly in a file name. So that's I think one thing to watch out for if you're making any kind of a JavaScript based site is try to avoid just pure fragment identifiers as URLs. And since um, um, another thing, sorry, go ahead. Um, because you have if you want to to activate HTML5 mode, you have to handle things on your server and stuff like that. Um, is it fragment identifier? Is it the, the same page and just a different part of the page, or is this actually completely different content? And at the same time, that's something we could pick up if we render the page. We can kind of see the differences between the fragments, but uh, anything at all for other search engines in a case like that. You can't pre-render the content because the other search engines, they can't request that fragment. If you're focusing on the fragment URL at the moment, that's something you probably want to plan on migrating away from either moving to HTML5 first state, those kind of things, or at least using the Ajax crawling scheme where search engines kind of can get used to understanding, well, this means Angular.js, uh, and let's assume, of course, you're using the HTML5 mode, um, and you do the, the catch all on the server, so the, of the, the app where the Angular, the Angular app can be loaded, and the rest of the URL will be just injected in the address bar, the contentful listening, I don't know what I'm talking about on AngularJS. Uh, the idea with that, the problem is that you cannot have a real 404. And so for a long time, for years, uh, it's just like 404. Uh, it's an important thing in SEO, as, as we only have like soft 404 uh, on the website. So I guess, first of all, to explain a soft 404 is when we actually get content. It's served with a 200 OK. But when we look at the content, it looks like a 404 page, or it says, like, file not found, or it has a no index on it, something like that. And from our point of view, if we can recognize that these are soft 404 pages, we'll treat them as 404 pages internally. So specifically, what that means is these pages will drop out of the index if they were indexed. And we'll try to recrawl them less frequently. So it's kind of a technical thing in the sense that uh, if we recognize that it's a there was some content here, it doesn't really make sense, but we'll pick it up for indexing and check it out again tomorrow. So it's it's kind of a this technical balance between um, having search engines crawl more and trying to figure out if it's a 404 on their side, or you specifically saying, hey, this is a 404. You don't need to bother about this. So if you have a server that's, let's say, really strong, then I think it's less of a problem if we crawl more. But uh, it's still, I don't know. Personally, I still find it factory because technically you're doing the wrong thing. You're serving content when actually you know that there's no content to be served there. So I. I wasn't aware that uh, this would be a problem for Angular, but uh, maybe we can find some way to, to improve that a little bit. I'm really curious about how, um, and, and maybe like going into the technical details isn't useful, but I'm kind of curious how you determine um, that a page is a, like a soft URL, like a dynamically generated, um, uh, or sorry, not soft URL, but uh, soft 404, like a dynamically generated 404 page. Is it just like, you look for a title that says not found, or like lots of different checks like that? 
I, it's a combination of things like that, where we, we look at basic things, where we say, well, we know what page not found means in all languages, so we can try to recognize that. Uh, that's obviously tricky, because a lot of um, web developer pages are like, oh, how do I trigger a 404 that shows a page not found? And that's not something where we say, well, oh, it says page not found. We'll drop it from the index. So we kind of have to be careful there. but. Some aspects that are really common is that this is a page that's uh, shown for a lot of URLs. So we see that we've tried to crawl, I don't know, a million URLs from your website. Uh, 500,000 of them all showed exactly the same content. So maybe this is a kind of a content that, does, that tells us this page doesn't really exist. So that's kind of like the, the signs that we can watch out for. Hmm. That's pretty wild. And you guys over there at Google and like all the search engines, like you. Pretty crazy stuff. That's cool. Um, so I, I think we're uh, we've got quite a few questions that we should probably get to before the end of our show. Is there anything that um, anybody wanted to make sure we covered before we get to the questions? One thing that uh, we see every now and then is content blocked by robots text. So this is something where in the past people. Like the standard SEO advice would be, hey, you should block your JavaScript, block your CSS from being crawled, because you don't want to have it indexed separately. And that was a problem, I'd say, maybe five or 10 years ago, where we would sometimes crawl a JavaScript file and show that in the search results. And people would be all confused, like, why should I click on a JavaScript file? Um, but at the moment, if you block your JavaScript and CSS from being crawled, then we can't see that, and we can't render those pages at all. So we can't tell if there's rendered content there. We can't tell if it's mobile friendly or not. So as much as possible, I really recommend not blocking those things by robots text. Also, if you have server responses that you're using, if you're doing some XHR requests where you're accessing a server and getting a, a JSON response back, those kind of things, make sure that those responses are also not blocked by robots text so that we can render your page and take in the full content that's actually being shown there. Great. Thank you for that. Those are good tips. Any other uh, quick tips uh, about SEO for JavaScript-heavy apps uh, before we close up? I think those tips are pretty valuable. Yeah, I got a, I've got a couple of them, uh, but one could be really quick. Uh, so John, Will, so, so you made it very clear that you want sites to move away from escape fragments, which makes total sense. Will any of that impact the infinite scroll recs with push, push state using the HTML5 history API to create kind of static URLs, static looking URLs? Uh, no, that should remain valid. So that's something you can do. I think you can do it with uh, Ajax crawling URLs if you wanted to. I think our example used push state to use kind of static looking URLs. But uh, that's essentially a way to implement the infinite scroll, and it should remain working like that. OK. On one more really quick. On faceted navigations, often sites will, this is a big, big one. So it's OK if you want to pun on this one. We could take it offline. But essentially, sites that don't want Googlebot or other engines to crawl all of the facets in a faceted navigation will use JavaScript to quote unquote hide those links and those facets, which is clearly not going to work for Google. You know, what is the solution there? And there could be a lot of solutions, but would it be okay to, for example, robots text disallow one specific external JavaScript file 
that uh, used so so that call uh, those facets? Would that be legitimate, or would you recommend another way? I I think at some point we need to come up with a, a better recommendation there. I, I think roboting out a specific piece of JavaScript might work at the moment, but it's a real, I guess, a maintenance hassle in that if the next developer comes along, they're like, why did you do this? I'll just fix this for you and cause all kinds of problems. I think some of that you can solve in Webmaster Tools with settings. Uh, but I think we really need to kind of come up with a, a better recommendation there so that it works well for the sites that offer this for users, but it doesn't block things for crawling. Cool. Yeah, it'd be the same with like page sorts, you know, top sellers and like different sorts yeah. of views. And I mean, we're sort of back to link level no follow for that stuff, you know, yeah. which might be fine. So, but cool. Yeah, that's a big one. So, thank you. I have just one other really quick question. And this is kind of for John. As we're kind of going through this now, we're talking about three different areas for signal. We've got HTTP headers, we've got HTML source, and now we have the DOM. And you can have conflicting signals in there. You, know, you can have a canonical in the HTTP headers and the HTML source and the DOM and have them all be different. From an order of precedence standpoint, which one of those wins if there's a conflict in where it is? That's that's an interesting question, but my my general SEO advice is don't use conflicting signals. So as much as possible, if if you're aware of this happening, try to avoid that happening. Because what will happen is search engines will come up with one way to solve this question now, but it might change over time. And then you're saying, well, I no index in my JavaScript, and that overrides the no in the do index here, and then search engine should do this. But actually, it's not really clearly defined. So that's something you kind of want to avoid. Uh, it also depends a bit on the type of signal that you're looking at. So for instance, no index is something where we say, well, any no index says it's no index. So it's not that you can go with JavaScript and kind of change that back, because we've already seen the no index. So that's something that kind of overrides everything else. And other signals, like maybe titles, is something where we might say, well, we crawl the URL with this title. We'll show that. When we render the page, we'll pick up the rendered version and just show that in search. We'll kind of swap that out against the rendered version. But again, this is something, ideally, you don't want to have to worry about. You want to make sure that you're giving us the same signals everywhere. That's what we like to tell our clients, John. We need you to talk to our clients. <laughs> this sounds harder than CSS, man. <laughs> All right. Um, awesome. I think we should probably get into our questions so we can keep this uh, show down to an hour. Um, so, because we've got a couple of really good questions in here. So, the first question, um, and this one I can answer really quick. It's uh, just, can you provide references for Jeff Welpley? Um, and I will paste a link to his Twitter in, um, in the comments right now. Oh, whoops. Well, later. Um, and uh, yeah, and you can uh, reach out to him on Twitter. Um, you're welcome, Jeff. <laughs> so, and he's actually been on the show before. He's great. Um, so the next question is, does Google's indexing uh, like this, I, I'm assuming they're talking about uh, uh, indexing uh, JavaScript, uh, or the rendered version, um, only work for HTML5, or can any um, web-facing pages like XHTML um, uh, or does that apply to any uh, web pages? And if it'll find the content on XHTML or XML pages, what happens to JavaScript inside uh, C data tags? Is it run or not? Uh, 
we essentially try to render the page like a browser would. So there, I guess there's some small limitations, but essentially if it works in a, in a normal browser, then it should work for us. And you can always test that in Webmaster Tools. There's a fetch and render tool in there where you plug in your URL and you see what Googlebot would look at or what Googlebot might render it like. Okay, thank you. All right, uh, next question. So uh, does Google offer tools to determine if our JS content has been indexed? I think we kind of covered this, but um, yeah. Yeah, I guess Webmaster Tools tells you what has been indexed. You can look at the index status to see kind of the numbers going up. Uh, what I like to do is just check myself. So search for some text that you have on the pages and see if it shows up in search. And if it doesn't show up, then maybe something went wrong. If it does show up, then that's, that's a good sign. Yeah, I was going to mention uh, yeah, just Google.com. It's a pretty cool tool, if you haven't heard of it. Uh, <laughs> no, just kidding. That was a good question. <laughs> Um, okay, and the last question, we're going through these faster than I thought, um, <clears throat> but maybe this one will be a little bit longer. Does Google, um, uh, sorry, does Google, yeah, let me restart over. Does using Google-hosted JavaScript libraries improve bot crawl performance uh, versus any other CDN? Um, so, yeah, like Google-hosted CDNs. Um, and does it increase the crawl time uh, um, dedicated to content is Googlebot smart enough to use a uh, cache preload version of these? Usually, yes. So I guess that's a short answer. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, it, it does help us a little bit in that uh, these are obviously commonly used libraries. And if you're using common URLs, then we can go back on a, on a kind of a cached version of that library. But I think in, in practice, it's not something where you're going to see any big difference. So if you host this library on your own server and we pick it up once and we don't have to recrawl it every minute, we can keep that cached for a while and just use the same library over and over again. And that's, I think, a minimal impact there. Uh, what I would watch out for is, is something I saw recently where someone was using um, I believe like an, an Angular library that was hosted on some standard site. I don't know, some, something around Angular. So uh, they were using the libraries from there, and they were blocked by robots.txt, actually, those libraries, because they were meant to be downloaded and put on your own server. Uh, so they weren't meant to be actually used by a production system. And what would happen then is we'd run across their Angular app. We'd see this kind of bare-bones HTML page that referenced the Angular libraries. But we couldn't pick up the Angular libraries because we couldn't crawl them. So we essentially couldn't index this app at all. Hmm. Yeah, be careful of that robots text, man. <laughs> cool. Uh, the, the robots text is it's kind of tricky because you don't see it in your browser. Uh, it's not it blocks it. From your view, it's, it's really something where only search engine crawlers, when they try to access it, they'll kind of realize, oh, I can't actually access this page. And that's something usually you don't need to watch out for that with every single URL that you put out on the web, but definitely something you want to check for the important pages and the ones that are using kind of exotic libraries or, or you're using JavaScript files that you're pulling together from various sources. Um, where you really want to make sure that this content can actually be indexed like that. I have a suggestion here. Like Google should stop respecting the robots.txt. 
Great idea. Great plan. No, no, no. Uh, we're, we're brainstorming, we're, right? No idea is a bad idea. That's right. We're really strict with that. And that's that's something that I, I think makes a lot of sense. It's really important that we don't overload servers and make requests for things that essentially the, the webmaster says, well, Google has no, no, no business looking at these files. And that might be for technical reasons. It might be for practical reasons. It might be that you can't put proper authentication behind that, which is, I don't think is a real solution against uh, like content that shouldn't be online. But there are lots of reasons why you might want to use a robots.txt file. Oh, awesome. OK. Um, so that was all of our questions, unless somebody asks another quick one. Go, go yeah. ahead, Olivier. We had one on uh, Angular Buddies. Oh, so thank you. This one from Adam Wicks is, if I have a product detail page that I want it to be indexed, uh, but the product data is fetched via an API, how do I best CEO this information? So I would double check with the, the fetch manager tool. Uh, so within Webmaster tool, then look at what Googlebot would see. And again, sometimes robots text comes into play there. So if you're using an API, a service provided by someone else, and they're blocking that by robots text, then that's something either you have to live with that or maybe talk to them to, to get that opened up or find a way to host that in a different way so that you don't have to worry about this robots text that's usually, I think, the, the biggest problem is when people are using APIs. OK. And cool. Elin Tower, I did one last question. Yeah. Uh, can you describe all the implementations that could be used to create static URLs for a site using Angular? It's kind I'm not of sure big. I totally um, understand the question myself, but if, if you get that. I don't know. That seems like something you guys would have to answer. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'll be honest. I'm not sure I understand the question. Uh, do you get it, Amy or Olivier? Well, <laughs> I'm guessing uh, she's asking if you uh, about the HTML5 mode and stuff like that. Hmm. Um, well, so I would say I would point anybody to the um, dollar location uh, documentation. Um, so you'll look for the dollar location provider, and I think uh, it's like .html5 mode is true or something like that. Um, and then, um, and then you'd also I would recommend looking into UI router, or if you're feeling ambitious, the new Angular router um, to uh, to deal with uh, URLs in your app. So hopefully we didn't totally terribly misunderstand your question. <laughs> there was a there was a few a few posts. Out there, like uh, giving you the exact code to implement on your Apache server to make sure that uh, all URLs, all requests are rewritten to uh, the base of the app where you can actually serve the content. Because the problem is, like, you load your Angular app, you go to another view, another page, another link, whatever you want to call it, it will work. But if you reload this page, the server won't give you anything because the page does not exist, and you will get a full call. So you have to make sure that you rewrite any incoming request to uh, the base of the uh, of the app, of the app. Uh, and that is not that clear 
on the Angular website, but there's a few posts out there where you can find the exact code to implement on Apache. I don't know about other servers, but uh, it's pretty easy to set up on Apache server. Yeah, totally. That's a pull request waiting to happen on the Angular docs. <laughs> so, sweet. We did get another question um, on the uh, Google Plus um, Hangout page um, comments. So this is from Austin Blias, uh, and his question is, does Google ever anticipate being able to show the rendered content in the cached version of the page from the SERP? I'm not sure what that stands for. Um, it doesn't appear to be displaying all the content it caches with URLs that leverage push state or Angular. <laughs> that's, a, that's a John question. I, um, yeah. Uh, at the moment, we we mostly, I believe, show just the, the HTML page that we essentially fetch from the server as a cache page. I don't know if there are plans to show the rendered version as a cache page at some point. It's it's thinkable, but uh, I don't know of any plans to do that at the moment. Okay, uh, and it looks like SERP stands for Search Engine Results Page. Um, for those kids. Tell that to people that uh, maybe are worried about like the application not showing up in Google Cache. Uh, if you look at the source code of the cache, you will see the source code of your HTML page where your Angular is, Angular app is, except that you probably will see a blank page because when you access the cache version of the page from Google, I'm sorry, I need to go back, but like if you're using the HTML5 mode on AngularJS, you need to set up a base href at the top of your HTML page. And because of that, when you access the cache version of version of your page on, uh, on Google, they will still be looking at the base href, but it won't be it, it won't match. And so the Angular app won't recognize uh, the URL because it's on google.com or whatever the subdomain is for Google Cache and not where your app is really, really is. And so the Angular app won't recognize the URL and won't load the app and get the content for this particular view on this particular page. It doesn't mean that Google did not get the content. Uh, that sounds like a, a blog post that needs to happen. Uh, and if you have a link to a blog post, uh, blog post let's put... Uh, put that in the comments so people can, can go to that. OK, great. Um, I think we are really close to our time, and we like to um, end with um, our common question, which we actually will probably change in future episodes. But the common question for today's episode is, what tip would you give a brand new developer? So I'll give the guests some time to think about this, and I'll go with the panelists first. Uh, so Amy, why don't you go ahead and, and uh, give your tip uh, first? Thinking about this, uh, this week my tip was going to be to start with pseudocode. Um, I think like being somewhat new, you want to just solve the problem in code, but it's really helpful to sit back and think through it. And uh, even if you have your text editor open and you're just writing plain old English, um, to solve the problem that way first before you actually start writing code. So that's my tip. Awesome tip, Olivier. Yeah, um, I don't know if we talked about this uh, in the other episode, but uh, you should try Code School. Um, it's a website with a lot of uh, tutorials and videos, 
And you can learn stuff by coding at the same time, uh, and it's really, really well done. And it's using Angular, I think. Plus one. <laughs> cool stuff. I'll, I'll go ahead and give my tip, and then uh, if the guests have any tips that they'd like to give, then that's great. So uh, my tip is keep your functions short. Um, so if, if you feel like your function is getting long and um, the sig what is that cyclomatic complexity, um, if that's getting um, up there, uh, you, basically that amounts to a lot of if statements or ternary operators um, or switch statements. Yeah, so if there are a lot of code paths in your uh, function, then try to break that out as much as you can. Um, it will, uh, that kind of helps your, make your code self-documenting. So I basically never comment my code. And when I do, it's, it's always this huge, big block of comment because I'm dealing with some weird browser issue or something that I need to explain. Um, so most of the time, your code should be self-documenting because you have uh, short, mo hopefully as stateless as possible, uh, functions that take an input, give an output, and it's always the same. Um, it's much easier to reason about. And uh, yeah, so that's my tip. Short functions that do one thing. So, uh, John, do you have a, a, a new developer tip? I kind of twisting, focusing on the, the search side, uh, I'd recommend using Webmaster Tools. So this is a tool from Google that you can verify your website in. It gives you lots of insight on how Google crawls and indexes your content and makes it kind of easier to pick up issues that you might not have noticed yourself especially if you want to make something public, you want to make it findable in search, make sure you use Webmaster Tools. Great. Um, good tip. Um, so anybody from the room of three over there, uh, anybody have tips? I would say, you know, SEO matters because, um, you know, we have a saying around here that search engines follow users. What's good for the users is good for search, and especially with Google is, you know, understand what Google can and can't do and understand what other search engines can and can't do. Um, so you're aware of it, so that you can make your apps, you know, crawlable and indexable uh, for search. What do you mean? I, I do have a tip: like, do not use any tags for styling purposes. <laughs> an H1 is an H1, and H2 is an H2. If you want the H2 as big as the H1, use CSS, and do not replace it by, the, by your H1. <laughs> um, I'll hit on something actually Kit said and expand on it. Um, comment your code. There are, I cannot tell you the number of mornings I've stepped back in to look at my code that I wrote the night before, and even I'm very confused by what I wrote. Um, a lot of times, you're not the one maintaining your code, so having those comments in there for the next person that has to come along and try to figure it out uh, is going to be really helpful for them. Being a uh, old-school Perl coder, you know, I still follow the motto, one man's Perl is another man's hell, so... Make sure that those comments are in there, and they're good describing what you're doing. Cool. I, I, I like that tip. Um, yeah. Uh, what, what's the phrase? Um, you should code like the guy who's going to be maintaining your code as a, a mass murderer who knows where you live. <laughs> exactly, yes. So code in fear. That's, that's the tip. <laughs> cool. All right. Um, so I think we're, we're about ready to wrap up. Is there, are there any last uh, things before I... I Close this up. Okay, uh, I'm just going to close up with a couple announcements, and then we'll say goodbye. Uh, so again, next week uh, is our show with Aaron Frost and uh, Ben Liddell on May 19th, same time, same place, um, and we're going to be talking about architecting huge Angular applications. 
So not your 5,000 lines of code. No, we're talking about big Angular apps. This is going to be awesome. I mean, actually, I would, I would argue that um, some of these same architecting um, tips that we're going to be give, or talking about uh, apply to smaller apps as well. Uh, it's just good design principles. So tune in for that next week. Um, also, you only have a few hours left for the Teespring campaign um, for your Angular Air t-shirt. So don't miss it. It's going to be awesome. And oh, I should mention, it's not just t-shirts. You can get a hoodie, or you can get a long sleeve t-shirt. Uh, there's also uh, women's uh, fitted tee, and there's another like really comfortable fabric t-shirt as well. So you have all kinds of options. It's going to be so cool. Um, and then, uh, again, follow us on Google uh, Plus and Twitter to make sure that you stay up uh, with the latest on our episodes. And um, yeah, that's it. So uh, um, I'll just remind the guests to please post any links or um, any other resources that you may think of. Uh, to the Hangout um, comments so that we can share those with the world. And hopefully Google will index this Hangout so people will be able to find it. Um, but uh, yeah, without any further ado, I think uh, we'll just say goodbye. So thanks, everybody, for coming. Thanks. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Bye. 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 Bye.